From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and Sirius XM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. My guest in this episode is Josh Levs, who is an author, entrepreneur, and pioneering expert on fathers in the workplace. Josh spent 20 years as an award-winning investigative journalist at NPR and CNN, major awards um, in his career. He then sued CNN Time Warner, his employer, when they failed to provide paternity leave for him at the time of the emergency birth of his third child. And this life-altering, difficult experience led him to write the really important book, All In, How Our Work-First Culture Fails Dads, Families, and Businesses and how we can fix it together. He tells the story of his own experience and then those of countless others and shows us what we can do to move forward together. In this episode, we talk about social policy, we talk about outdated workplace policies, companies that are moving forward indeed, and what each of us can do to create change and to help working families, fathers and mothers, so we can build a better society for the next generation. And now, here's my conversation with the inspired and inspiring Josh Lives. Josh, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Hey, Stu. Thank you so much for having me. So you were and still are a a successful uh, award-winning reporter for a blue chip organizations, Time Warner, CNN, uh, before that, NPR. When when you and your wife were ready to have your third child, you sued Time Warner for paternity leave. So what was it that led you to that decision? What was the turning point for you? It was, yes. So so here's what happened. So, you know, I was, uh, as you say, a journalist, and I was also covering, in addition to covering major news, I was also, at that point, already a fatherhood columnist and mm-hmm. writing stories about fatherhood, following your work, and, and um, doing segments on air, uh, interviewing other dads. And then, all of a sudden, the tables got turned, and I was the, the dad in the news, because what happened was we determined that, uh, for several reasons, I would be needed at home after the birth of, of our daughter, our third child. And Tom Warner had a, an extremely unusual policy. It had a, but it's also a, a, the type of policy that many places have. Tom Warner would allow any person who had a baby to take care of 10 paid weeks at home unless that person impregnated the mother. So, so if I had put my child up for adoption and some other guy adopted her, he could get 10 paid weeks. If we had used a surrogate, I could get 10 paid weeks. What? If we had used a sperm donor, what I was, could get 10 paid what weeks. What was the theory behind that? What was the right. thought? So here's, here's how it happened, and this is what I explain in the book. The mm. way these policies are structured, you have to follow the money. and you, It's so important for everyone to understand what happens. Here's what had happened. Uh, Tom Warner has a disability policy, and it was using its disability policy to pay women for 10 weeks after they 
they would have a baby. So basically, they were encouraging all women to have their doctors sign a form saying that they needed 10 paid weeks for physical recovery. That way, it would be their time off would be paid entirely through disability policy. Then Time Warner had decided, well, there are some people in other situations, like maybe perhaps a gay couple or a couple that chooses to adopt. We want to give 10 paid weeks to them, and, and maybe a surrogate. Who needs okay, so in all those cases. But, but I went to them in advance, and I said, look, the only group of people you're not allowing the option of 10 paid weeks to be home caregiving for the child is a man in the traditional situation. And I said, I'm sure this was an oversight. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that anyone intended this. And I did this completely in secret. I found out the protocol. I went straight to benefits. But they wouldn't give me an answer for a month. And then my daughter was born in an emergency, and, and they still wouldn't give me an answer. And then 11 days later, I'm home holding my, my four-pound preemie daughter and taking care of my sick wife and my two boys and, and emailing benefits saying, I need to know, am I coming back to work now or am I getting – and that's when they wrote me back and said – no. So they wouldn't give it to me. So it was you know, a clearly a discriminatory decision. And mm-hmm. so I took legal action. I filed with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And uh, that's the story. Wow. So, yeah. so what changed for you when that decision came down, personally and in terms of your role mm-hmm. as an advocate for, for social and, and policy change in our country? Yeah. Well, it was really interesting. You know, I knew that in terms of my career, it was, you know, an interesting twist that suddenly I was going to be the, the guy in the news. But what I didn't know, he said, what, what, what happened for me there, I did not realize, and this is where the book comes from, I did not realize until the night that I announced on social media, on Tumblr, that I was taking this step, how many women and men it would galvanize. You know, what happened was, as soon as I announced this, all of it, it was like I unleashed the floodgates of love, and all these groups started supporting me. A group founded by Maria Shriver, who's now a big supporter of the book, and Cheryl Sandberg, who's in the book, and, and mom blogs and dad blogs. And so I became fascinated as a dad and as a, as a journalist. What was it about my case that was galvanizing so many women and men? And I realized that what it is is that we are all in this together. All of us who want real equality for our daughters and our sons, for our wives and our husbands, we are all up against these backward structures that are pushing women to stay home and pushing men to stay at work. So, you know, why to this day is only 4.6% of CEOs in the S&P 500 are women? You know, nearly a century are after, after the right oh, yeah, to for, vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, are women. Only 4.6%. Why is that? Well, we have these structures mm-hmm. that don't make any sense, are bad for business, bad for the economy, bad for all of us. So... That's what happened for me. I learned through this experience that we are all in this together, all those of us who want equality, and so that's where, where the book All In comes from. And so uh, have they changed other policies as a result of this, uh, this shift in, uh, and let's call it a correction, in what was a discriminatory <laughs> policy, perhaps an oversight, perhaps not? Right. So what happened was um, a year later they announced uh, a new policy, or they they actually didn't announce it. They just created a new policy. But I saw what they had done and announced it, and they revolutionized their policy, made it infinitely better. Uh, Dads like me used to only get two paid weeks. Now we get six paid weeks. Moms who give birth get more time than they used to. They're now getting 12 weeks or Mm -hmm. 14 weeks in some cases. So so Tom Warner, um, you know, upped its policy. But what's really happening in a bigger way, and this is important, you know, for everyone who's interested in business, is that more and more businesses are discovering on their own that having policies that allow families to make their own decisions about who will do which role is better for business. So you're seeing companies like Facebook and Google and Yahoo, but also not just in Silicon Valley. You've got uh, Bank of America. Johnson & Johnson just made an announcement. More and more of these big businesses are discovering 
that when they offer these kinds of policies, it helps attract and retain employees, mm-hmm. and it makes them happier and more productive, and it works for the bottom line. So that's, that part is the good news. The bad news is that most companies are not on that bandwagon. Things are actually going in a negative direction, and so that's why I write about how we need to turn that around. I, I can't tell you, Josh, how heartwarming it is for me to hear this. I, I too, have two sons and a daughter. Uh, the first one was born in 1987, and that was a, a transformative moment for me as I then uh, began to think about and talk with my students and then with many others about what the arrival of the new generation, what does it mean for us personally and professionally, and, and what are we going to do to care for the next generation in a way that allows us all to lead the lives we truly want. So since yeah. the late 80s, uh, I and a bunch of other people have been you know, advocating for just the kinds of changes that you're talking about here. Right. And to see uh, the the flowering of these ideas in so many places now in our society, still a long way to go. Yeah. But, you know, if you, you look at how much has changed since the Mad Men era, a lot has changed, especially for women. Uh, but now we're seeing uh, change for men. What do you think has shifted in the cultural you know, consciousness that has yeah. allowed for um, and really enabled um, people like you to come forward and to really move the needle further? Well, what's happened uh, to some extent, the, the positive part of this comes from worker empowerment to a large extent. It's more and more workers who recognize that they have choices. And that's why Silicon Valley really has helped lead the way on this. I spend a lot of time out there. Workers in Silicon Valley, keep in mind that they can get another job. Not everyone feels that way, especially since the 2008 financial fiasco. But culturally, I think here's what happened. My generation, our generation, grew up on free to be you and me. It never occurred to me that my sister or any of my female friends would be less capable uh, as leaders in, in so let me the just situate world. this for yeah. for the readers uh, for listeners right. rather you you are uh, you graduated oh, college in ninety four do I have that right I'm forty three now yeah. okay so we, we we call those Gen Xers yes right? exactly yeah people say yeah NPR once had me do this, uh, some story and they claimed that I'm the total Gen Xer so for whatever that's worth <laughs> so yeah so so what happened was you know we had this free to be you and me and. Right. And then we got to the workplace, and we had children, and we discovered that the workplace never did grow up. No. The work, and, and so, you know, here's a couple examples in my book. I got this one guy. He, his baby was born in an emergency. He took off two days from work, comes back to work on Monday. His boss comes in and, re- and rebukes him for having taken off two whole days. That boss is a pregnant woman. But, you know, the gender equality activists who I interviewed are not surprised at all because mm-hmm. there are a lot of women and men in leadership positions who have these backward ideas. There's another boss who told the worker he could not have the time he was legally entitled to for caregiving because women are supposed to do the caregiving unless they're in a coma or dead. And that's a quote. And just the other day, so a few days ago, um, you have a lot of listeners in Canada. Hi, folks in Canada. Yep. So I was on uh, a radio station in Toronto. I actually just posted this on, on Tumblr tonight. So... I was on the station, and two people called in to say Mad Men was one of the best eras in the history of the world and that we should go back to it, that the job of a man is to work, the job of a woman is to stay home. Mm -hmm. So the problem is that we still have a lot of people who think that, and that's that's where we all have to be all in, in pushing against that, in bringing about this cultural understanding that true equality will never get anywhere as long as people hold on to those old notions. Well, I've been saying for for decades now that social change – on this front takes time, uh, but there are things that we can do. And one of the important things, of course, is to have people who have uh, a pulpit and a microphone to, to, to tell their story. 
which is what you have done so eloquently and so powerfully in this in this new book and to demonstrate that there are a lot of options that are available for people to assume roles in society that fit and I love this aspect of what you're what you're saying in your in your um, your programmatic uh, um, uh, advocacy, and that is individualized solutions for families that work for them. There's no one yeah. size fits all. Uh, but telling your story is is crucial. How do you think people can do that in a way that uh, really starts to affect the kinds of um, expectations that people have for men and women? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, when I when I started doing this book, the folks at HarperCollins and my agent, they said, "What we want," they said, "This is your polemic. They said, this is your your lean in. Lay out the steps. Give us one through ten, one yeah. through five. Whatever. So I do that, and I write about it. And you know, there's different fronts. So some of it, I talk you through how to, in a very positive, optimistic way, uh, work with the people who run your business and and say, "Hey, here's some information that might really help us." I also talk about ways that we can galvanize for uh, changes in the laws. And this is where there's such a huge misunderstanding in America. Paid family leave is something that we need. It's a human basic. When, when a child comes out of the womb, it should have a parent home with it for a bunch of weeks who does not have to worry about putting food on the table for that time. Keyword being people, they're a parent, not necessarily a mother. It could be a mother or a father. So here's the thing. People hear paid family leave, right? And they think, wait a second, you want to make a law saying that businesses have to pay people when they're not working? No. That's not what paid family leave is. I imagine if I started a business, I would not want to be required to do that. That's not what paid family leave is. Paid family leave currently exists in California and New Jersey. And And there were certain leaders of the business world who said, oh, it would destroy jobs. It hasn't. Businesses Mm -hmm. now like it, and so do workers. You create basically an insurance fund. And when people have a qualifying emergency, not just for kids, Mm -hmm. but for uh, spouses or taking care of an elderly parent, when you have a qualifying situation, you get paid out of that fund. And what that does is it gets people to stop dropping out of the workforce entirely, which is what they're doing now. Instead, they take their paid time off then they come back to work. So everybody comes out ahead. It helps grow the economy. There's something called the Family Act now that's being suggested in Congress that could do that. Mm -hmm. But I know that politically, um, creating something like that could be tough because it has the word tax in it. So I suggest in the book a a potential way to create paid family leave in America by lowering taxes. No matter what, we've got to do something, Stu, because this is not working, and it's too painful to see these families struggle with having to rush back to work after the baby leaves the womb because they need the money. No, it's it's uh, it's Neanderthal. I mean, it's just yeah. it's so backwards, and it's something that uh, I've been writing about also in in the book that we did on the comparing the, your generation with the generation of people that just graduated here at Wharton. In the advocacy piece of that, uh, we made a big point, and have had many guests on the show talking about the success of the experiments in. California, New Jersey, and Rhode Island, where the and research has been done on this, showing that businesses like it because, as yep. you say, uh, there's there's a better attraction and retention of people as a result of these um, policies that don't cost anything. Yeah, and when, when people find this out, they start to support it. You know, there's some surveys right. of of U.S. voters that show that majority of Republicans want a paid family leave insurance program, and you know, we have. 
we have what's called FMLA, the Family and Medical Leave Act, that allows people unpaid time off. And there were some of the same naysayers when that was being considered and under Clinton. And some people think it would destroy jobs. And I've got people in the book, as you saw, you know, prominent conservative leaders like Jim Daly, the head of Focus on the Family, mm-hmm. who say now, looking back, he says he's embarrassed he was ever against FMLA, who doesn't think people should be against it. You know, ultimately, we're, we are a nation that has public schools. We have Medicaid for children because we understand that caring for children is uh, good for society. This is just another piece of that. It's another human basic. You make sure that a kid can be taken care of for several weeks at least by a parent. And yes, anyone who thinks that only a mom is capable of being the caregiver uh, doesn't know the truth. Men are just as capable. Yes, in some in some cases more so. I mean, it really gets down to what people want to do, what roles they want to play. And your example and so many others are demonstrating that the role of caregiver and breadwinner can be taken up by a man or a woman. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because um, I know you have a lot of, of business leaders who listen. And in the end, this is just basic logic. Sometimes the best person for a job is a woman. Of course. So sometimes that's going to happen. Why would you possibly want a policy that pushes the woman to stay home and the man to stay at work if the woman is the better person for the job? And sometimes the woman's making more money. You know, there, there are all sorts of reasons that it makes sense. So what we have now is this free-to-be-you-and-me generation wanting to live out this equality. And there are so mm-hmm. many dads in this book who open up about their work-life conflicts, their struggles. Mm-hmm. And our, you know, I know you talk about some things that are in this book, and I love it. You talk about, uh, you know, mind and, and spirit. Our work-life conflicts in general are, in part, to be attributed to these backward structures that we have that prevent us from having legitimate work-life integration. And businesses that open up their minds, you know, business leaders who open up their minds and think, well, how can we instead tap into the power of work-life integration, tap into the power of great women and great men who Mm -hmm. happen to have children and also want to be great employees? Those businesses are discovering that it's a huge opportunity for them. Yes, indeed. And the demand for the kinds of programs that we've been developing here uh, for decades and now bringing to the world, including in a MOOC that I teach that has reached 140,000 people worldwide uh, on this topic. I mean, the demand for for useful tools and ideas for change is is huge. And it is truly a, a new moment. What else do you think uh, is, is going to be essential? You know, listeners are th- might be wondering, what can I do? What, what can I do to create positive change for my business or as an employee to create greater freedom and the support that I need to be the parent, friend, uh, you know, child, person who I want to be beyond work? What other ideas right. do you have? Yeah, I'll tell you, one of the things people talk to me about the most, and it's interesting, I didn't see this coming, is a chapter that's called um, Male Privilege, Female Gatekeeping, and the Bonus Temptation. So what, you know, what I talk about in the book, as you know, is also that, yes, we have these structures, but we also have individual responsibilities. Mm-hmm. We need to really take a good hard look at ourselves, good hard look in the mirror. So male privilege, and there's an expert in the book who talks about this, and you know, he is just like you, one of a handful of, of men and women who are really pushing these things forward. And he says um, that he believes that you know, a lot of men have talked a good game about equality, but when it came down to it, weren't ready to fight for it because it's easier to 
uh, say, sorry, honey, you know, mm-hmm. this is on you because I don't have a choice. And then there's female gatekeeping, which is the flip side of that, which is some women who, um, you know, grew up taking care of, of grew up babysitting and, and grew up believing that, that girls are, and women are better at taking care of kids. So when their husbands take the baby, they say, no, no, you don't do it like that. Let me mm-hmm. do it. Let me do it. So these are times that, you know, we all, as men and women, need to look at ourselves and say, okay, do I need to change my own individual attitudes in order to be ready to stand up for equality and, and to allow it to flourish and to set the right examples for our children. And then the bonus temptation is this, um, it uh, explains the system that's been used in certain other countries in which there's piles of time that are available to all parents and then piles of time available to, to women and a pile of time available to men. And what happened there was, you know, here in this country, because of the stigmas, because men sometimes come back to work after paternity leave and they, they get fired or they get demoted, they are, they are literally punished for being caregivers, um, a lot of guys don't take it. And Did it's you usually, get that? You know, they, yeah, I mean, Did, it's incredible. Did you experience incredible. that when you came back? So I, okay, so I did not, and that's part of the message. And I want people to know you don't have to be afraid. You know, when I mm-hmm. came back to work, my colleagues, you know, people at my level, my colleagues were openly supportive, cheering me in the hallways, hugging me and, and, and kissing me. Really? Um, so they weren't, yeah, like, but, punching you to say, hey, you're busting the rate here, you're making us look bad, or uh, you're a slacker? <laughs> The opposite. They were saying things like, "I see. This is what it gets down to. They didn't know. Workers don't know their rights in this country." So many guys said to me, "I always hated that policy, but I didn't know we have the right to change it, or I was afraid to." Now, are there certain bosses high up in the ranks who think of me, you know, as being some like, I don't know, like unmanly, whatever, which is what happens to some guys? Uh, maybe, you know, maybe. But I, if so, they haven't said it directly to me. But because so, so many men, and I trace this through in the book, so many men, unfortunately, do face that stigma. Mm-hmm. They are not even taking when the, the paid leave they get. Mm-hmm. But in countries in, where there's more, in which there's more, where there's a public policy making like six or eight weeks yep. available to men, then they take it. Because then you look crazy not to take it. Right. I mean, turning down one or two weeks, maybe, but who turns down eight paid weeks? Mm-hmm. Well, e- even in Sweden, it took years to, for that to become normal for men. But that was, you know, three decades ago. Josh, we, yeah. we have to wrap up here. What's the, what's the one main thing you want to make sure our listeners listeners take away from uh, learning about this great book that you've got for us? I want people to know that, look, I went into this with a a totally open mind. I didn't have a position. I didn't know what I was going to find out about policies and all these things. And what I found is exciting because we've got a win, 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 win here. If we stand up for better policies, we do. It's just like the subtitle of the book says, we make things better for women and for men, and we make things better for business and the economy and the cause of equality. There, there isn't a loser when we stand up, follow the steps I lay out and all in, and, and, um, you know, and, and make the kind of changes that we need. And HarperCollins will get mad at me if I don't say, you can learn all about this at my website, joshlabs.com. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to do that for you, but thank you. Oh, thank you. Okay. And, and thank you for spending time with us. Uh, I've been speaking with award-winning investigative journalist and author Josh Lev. Josh, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, listen, thank you for the interview, and also thank you so much for being a leader on this. You have really paved the way for people like me, and I'm, I'm forever grateful. That's very kind of you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Josh Lev's and that it stimulated some new ideas for you. So here's a challenge, an invitation. Visit joshlevs.com, J-O-S-H-L-E-V-S.com, and go to the Dad Facts page.
page. There are about a dozen myths that Josh lists and then busts. Myths like dads pretend to suck at housework so they won't have to do it. And women still do all the worry work. I'm challenging you here, inviting you to take two minutes to read this set of Mythbusters and then let me know which one you found most surprising, most enlightening. And you can write to me uh, at friedman at wharton.upenn.edu or just tweet at Stu Friedman. I would love to hear from you. I think you'll be glad to be more informed and better able to advocate for positive social change in the role of fathers in our world. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me.